When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello there, folks, and welcome to the United Hour podcast, your official Red Cafe podcast for all things Manchester United. I'm your host this week, David. And I'm Nick. Hello, Nick, and welcome along, recording shortly after our Europa League triumph over the once mighty AC Milan. How are you feeling in the, the aftermath of that, Nick? Bit of a slog in the first half, but... Magical substitution at half time, which our manager is not famous for, and we're coming away with a nice victory and moving on. How are you feeling? Yeah, look, it feels good. You know, I've been slightly critical about this competition and said I wasn't too bothered about it. But, uh, you know, when you draw AC Milan, then it felt like a big tie and one you want to get through. Uh, and it was pretty clear that Ole was taking this competition seriously. So then, yeah, in that case, he needs to get through it. And yeah, he's done the job. Like you say, it wasn't so pretty first half, but uh, Pogba made a massive difference coming in. Uh, great to see him back in the team and straight up to speed because, yeah, I was a bit worried about where he'd be in fitness and things like that. You know, uh, the fact that he didn't start, I kind of worried that maybe he wasn't that fit. But, yeah, when he came in, he showed that, yeah, he's ready to go and ready to make a difference. And, yeah, we have missed him so much. Uh, you know, this kind of period we've had where we struggled to score goals, a lot of it has been down to missing a player like him. And, you know, Bruno has not been on top form recently. And again today, I thought he had an absolute shocker and was kind of one of the main reasons that we were way off it in the first half. Um, you know, his passes were just going everywhere. And he had one of those days where he was just trying way too hard to play the perfect ball every time he got it and none of it was coming off and I think in the second half he calmed down a little bit and just you know played it simple made sure we kept hold of the ball and yeah we got that goal that we needed yep and given the the players that we knew we had available obviously Pogba coming back from injury I wasn't expecting him to start I was hoping to see him maybe some point in the second half maybe not at half time but I know that was a fourth substitution because of something that had gone on with Rashford. But yeah, the the start of the game, I think that the team kind of did pick itself. And the opening couple of minutes, I thought we actually looked pretty good. Uh, we were on the front foot. And then it seemed like the first time that we made a mistake, we just started to compound that with making mistake after mistake. Just small little things, but that ultimately put us under pressure. Um, there was one with Bruno quite early on where Henderson put like just a kind of innocuous clearance into the, the halfway line. Bruno had, it wasn't a difficult uh, pass, I would say, to control, but his first touch just ran so far away from it. I'm like, oh no, here we go. This is going to be one of those games where Bruno just has a shocker, does seven or eight bad things in a row and then pops up with a moment of magic. But unfortunately, in that first half for Bruno, the, the magic just didn't seem to come. But how did you see that first half playing out um, based on the way that the teams lined up? I did not think that it was a strong AC Milan lineup at all. Um, obviously, know a fair bit about some of the players after last week, but 
even still, I'm looking at that lineup and going, geez, we should, this should be comfortable for us. We're obviously been very good away from home all season and for the, the better part of a, a year. So I wasn't too concerned, but that first half just, it just seemed like we were, we were our own worst enemy and AC Milan started getting a few more opportunities, pushing a bit further forward and weren't just happy to sit in their away goal and they, they started to sniff out a couple of chances. But yeah, how did you feel about the, the opening exchanges and were you confident that we, we would even be able to turn it around at half time? Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people, you know, we have our Discord chat and some of the lads there were not happy saying it's awful. Twitter as well was going off and I kind of was a bit surprised by how negative were people were. And we weren't great by any means, but I thought it was a pretty even first half, really. Um, we started better. Uh, you know, there was a couple of times James got in early on. Uh, Bruno even had a really pretty good chance from uh, Shaw lays it off to him and just skies it. And like you say, you know, everything was going wrong for him. Uh, you know, my favourite stat is always the passing accuracy. And I checked it at half time, and Bruno had had one of the most touches in our team, and he was at like 52%. So it means one in every two <laughs> balls he's giving away, which is just which is sh- which is shocking. It right, is, that's absolutely shocking. If you're if you're scouting a player, and you're someone who goes on the statistics as opposed to the eye test, and you, you've turned up to watch him at that game. You're not coming back to watch him again after that first half performance. Like fifty-two percent, I didn't realise it was that low. But yeah, that that's absolutely shocking. And for a game of that magnitude, where he is expected to be your linchpin go-to player, it just wasn't good enough. And then obviously we see what happens in the second half when we bring on another, what I think is a world-class threat, and his game just starts to get a little bit easier. But yeah, I thought um, the opening exchanges. I've been a reasonable critic of Dan James I, I love what he what he brings to the side in terms of tenacity and that raw pace and he does know how to stretch the defence I have often referred to him as a competition winner and that's been doing him a disservice recently because he has stepped up his game a little bit and he's been needed as well we've kind of been struggling a little bit with injuries and not having players fully fit in the opening exchanges I thought he, he went at uh, their left back a couple of times and I left him for dead once, um, had a really good opportunity early on as well to square it to, to Greenwood, but decided to go it alone. But it was good to see him kind of, even though it didn't come off for him, it's still good to see him having a go opposition fullbacks because that's what he's going to be best at. And his end product, as we saw, isn't always going to be the best. But as long as he can keep on getting in behind, he's going to eventually create something. But how did you feel um, his first half went and I guess just overall in the past maybe month or so? How are you feeling about Dan James based on you were at the beginning of the season and him not looking like he was going to get too much of a look in? Yeah, no, I think I remember earlier in the season we'd virtually wrote him off. And in fact, so did Ole. I remember there was a period of about one month when he was often not even making our bench, you know, when we had a fully fit squad uh, earlier in the season. I remember there was some times where big players weren't even making the matchday squad and James was often one of the ones left out. He was nowhere near the team. He wasn't performing. Uh, then because of injuries, he's had a chance. And to be fair to him, he's really made a difference, uh, filled in well, scored a couple of important goals. He does just always lack in that fine bitter quality in that final ball, which is why he's always probably for me going to be a squad player. But you know, you need squad players, like I say, who come up and step up and make a difference when they're needed. And I think as well, the good thing is he'll probably be happy to be a squad player. You know, that's the problem that everybody thinks you need world class players throughout and sat all around the bench as well. But well, you know they're not going to be happy to be sat on the bench. So yeah, look, he does and he does hard work as well on the defensive side. I mean, like I said, because of his size and all, he often gets a bit out muscled. Uh, you know, and so he often spends a lot of time ends up on the ground. It's not always his fault, um, but just yeah, that's the way it's going to be with him. And like you say, it's just that little bit of quality that lacks. But he has as well, like several times in the last month or so, he's put in balls that have actually gone into pretty dangerous areas. And it's actually that we just don't ever have a striker who's coming in and attacking that six-yard box time and time again. Uh, there's balls that come in from James, even sometimes Wan-Bissaka, especially from the right side, and there's just never anybody coming to attack. Even today, there's one or two balls that come in, and you know, one way it looks like it's just going too close to the goalie, but I think if you have someone like Cavani, then he's a player who does sniff out that chance, does start like running in for it. Uh, you know, we did chat a fair bit on the last pod about Greenwood, and now he's doing it number nine, and 
I think he's playing well in general, not giving the ball away. But uh, sometimes, yeah, you know, you do want to see a bit more from him. Uh, Boston has got to get on the end of some of these balls and maybe taking on a player now and again. He's playing quite safe while he's up front. And yeah, like I say, not giving the ball away. But yeah, also not really making enough chances for himself. Yeah, um, yep. he's playing within himself at the moment. And I definitely was a huge case of that tonight where... We, we know how talented he is, we know how good a finisher he is, but he just isn't busting that gut to get in the box and make a difference. I can't remember who it was that played the pass over the top for Luke Shaw, um, but it was, I think, maybe halfway through the, the first half. Long ball over the top, I think he might have been Lindelof. Shaw was just running onto it, and he, he might have been able to take the shot, but he tries a cutback, and there was no one within 25 mm. yards. And one of the players I'm looking at to be making that run, it has to be Greenwood. Like, if Luke Shaw can bust a gut and get in behind, I'd like to hope that we have an attacking player on the pitch that can do the same. And it just didn't look like we were going to get that from Greenwood. And we certainly weren't going to get it from Rashford, who, from what I understand, began the game um, not fully fit. And there was some talk um, that the commentators were mentioning in the warm-up. He had quite heavy strapping on his leg and... For me, he just didn't seem to be moving right at all. Um, he was coming when we were when we didn't have the ball. He was coming way more narrow than he normally does, which meant that if we were going to spring a counter attack, he probably wasn't going to be able to get on the end of it just through where he had was taking position on the pitch. But he just didn't seem right at all. Um, but yeah, what were your your thoughts on Rashford and? Yeah, no, he was obviously not fit and maybe shouldn't have even started the game and. Probably if a couple of other players had made it, he wouldn't have. Uh, I think, you know, Cavani was training this week, but then in the end didn't travel. Uh, obviously had some kind of recurrence. And yeah, Martial is not there. So yeah, it was, I think it was pretty clear that Rashford was not fit to play this game. He was even a surprise that he played on the weekend. So I guess they were hoping they could just get another match or two out of him before that kind of international break. But uh, we'll have to see what exactly is wrong with him. Uh, yep. But yeah, he, and I saw as well, like he, in the whole first half, he only had like something like 15 touches, uh, you know, wasn't in the game at all. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that much of a surprise when he came out. Uh, even though, yeah, I don't know, yeah, we're watching the commentary here. I, don't, I know you're over in Canada, so I don't know if you have different uh, commentators. But yeah, Robbie Savage kept being really shocked that Paul Pogba was playing like kind of left attacking. I was like, he's played there so many times this season. It's like not really a shock at all. He kept going, oh, I don't think Pogba's suited to that left role. I'm not sure, you know, he's just having to cover for Rashford. I was like, what are you talking about? He's yeah. played this kind of role several times this year and done it pretty well. Uh, and so, yeah, he obviously missed all of that. But yeah, look, when he came in, Pogba, um, you know, did make a big difference from there. And yeah, straight away in the second half, uh, it's the perfect start to the second half, basically. Yeah, so we have um, like quite quite a mixture of things that we, we don't normally see is a halftime substitution from Oli that immediately impacts the game. Now, before we get on to, to talking about the, the second half, I just want to talk through my own halftime, which today was was pretty uh, unexpected. So the halftime whistle goes, I went to make myself a, a quick cup of coffee, and then I get a text on my phone saying that a package has been delivered for me. And it's a package that I've been waiting uh, on coming from our sponsors, Manscaped. And in that package was some of those precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And given the let's be honest, the drossness of the first half. It, it perked me up a fair bit. And then I got, I got, I got to open this up. I, I showed the missus. I was like, this is pretty awesome, this stuff. I mean, look, look how, in, look how many things... Did you go for a test drive at half I did, time? No, I did, I did not. Because we are still three hours behind, it was not an appropriate time of the day to be doing stuff like that. There is a watershed for these things, Nick. But yeah, that was that was exciting. It, it really perked my time up, because to be honest with you, there was times in that first half where I, I thought I might fall asleep. But now I have uh, this wonderful product from Manscaped that I'll get to try. So huge thanks to them for um, hooking us up with that. 
and from from what I can see, it's it's going to do the trick. And anyone who is interested in that, we um we have a discount code right now for Manscape. You get twenty percent off your order and free shipping. You just use the code United Hour at Manscape.com. Few of the lads on the team have the stuff now. We're all huge fans of it. But yeah, thanks very much, Manscape, for hooking me up with that and making my half time a little bit more bearable. It was actually so good that I forgot I had made a cup of coffee, and by the time I got to it, it was cold. But anyway, so yeah, the second half, Pogba comes on and I haven't been on the pod for a while, but I've been expressing that I feel that his, since he has gone out of the team and we got injured, we haven't been as good. And, and it's easy to say that. I mean, just obviously you take someone like Pogba in the form he was in out of the team. But I think one of the reasons why we started to struggle is because we have been defaulting to Bruno, who since Pogba has gone out of the team, yes, he has some good statistics. He scored some goals and got assists like he always does. But his overall level of play hasn't been as good the past maybe month or six weeks or so. And I was always adamant that as soon as Pogba came back, if he could get anywhere near the level he was pre-injury, it just it takes some pressure off of Bruno just through the nature of there's another world-class player on the pitch that the opposition have to think about. And we saw it straight away. He makes an instant impact. I think the, the goal he scored is, comes from calamitous defending. Um, I'm trying to remember, and, and the, the team we played against and scored, like they scored the worst goal ever against us. Our defence was just shocking. The, the opponents have escaped me. But it was a comedy of errors in the box. Sheffield and, United. Yeah, Sheffield United, that's it. Comedy of errors. Um, Ollie Burke ends up scoring a goal, which we were promised would not happen by a, one of our podcasters. But their, their defence was shocking for that goal. But still, the ball falls at Pogba's feet. And he just says this little shimmy that makes people think he's going to pass it, cross it or shoot, buys him a fraction of a second and he just, just sticks it in. It was very similar in that with um, Martial scored the goal like mm. last season but he just, no one expected him to do what he'd done. A little flick and then just knocked it past the keeper's near side. No one saw it coming and then he's running away celebrating and you're like, Pogba's back and it only took a few minutes. But seeing him come on and seeing him play at that level... It just gives me hope that for the, the rest of the season now, because we are coming into crunch time, just having him fit and available and performing at that level takes pressure off Bruno and takes pressure off some of the other players as well, because now you have to worry about him. But how happy are you, Nick, to, to see Pogba come back and have a performance like that? Yeah, no, like I said, he'd been out for 10 games, so I was a bit worried about what kind of shape he was going to be in. So him to come in and make that immediate impact uh, was amazing. And yeah, look, for sure, we've missed him. And like you say, when he's out there, Bruno has all that creative burden. Uh, Fred and McTominay, I like both of those players. I think they're both really solid, but you really do lack creativity. You know, neither of them make those balls. And, you know, like we say, Bruno does have these days where it doesn't come off for him, where his passing accuracy is way down and he's actually giving it away too often. Um, You know, I said on the weekend, he actually had one of his most safest games uh, against West Ham. It was like somewhere up in the 90s, which is rare for him. And I think maybe Ole has had a word with him after a couple of times where things haven't been coming up and saying, listen, just chill out. You know, if it's, you know, you're in that kind of runner form where things aren't coming off, then just keep it simple, keep the ball going and, uh, you know, at least let's keep hold of it and not give it away. And I think I'm sure he said something like that at halftime as well. Because uh, like I say, Bruno's passing then comes up to nearly 80%. So if he's at 50% at halftime, it means he was basically 90% for the second half. Yeah. Uh, keeping it like, you know, simple. And then, yeah, like Pogba comes in. And say he can share that burden with him, uh, you know, otherwise you're looking for something coming, whether it's from like James McTominay, who can now and again chip in with stuff, but they're not like the best, most creative talents we've got. Uh, so, yeah, we do need Pogba coming in. And that's the, it was also the shame that, you know, that Donny van der Beek was injured at the same kind of period. Otherwise, it would have been the absolute perfect time for him to come in and show that he can pick up. And that's what I think he was bought for, that when Pogba or Bruno were out, he's the player who's supposed to come and fill in. Uh, you know, people are all doing way too much press saying, oh, he's not played, he's not happy, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But yeah, I always think that he was never actually bought to be a first team player. He was just bought to be a, squ- a you know, a top squad option that when somebody else is out and it's 
for most of the season, Pogba and Bruno have been available. And then when one of them wasn't Pogba, he all of a sudden gets injured as well. So, yeah, it's a shame yeah. he just hasn't had that time to come in. Devil's advocate on that, though, it's a heck of a lot of money to spend on a squad player to come in when two others aren't available. I don't know, 35 million nowadays, you know, that isn't a, that much money. Like, you know, you, you first team kind of players nowadays, you're looking at paying midfielders 50 million plus for like, you know, for Manchester United, a starting midfielder, that's about the range you're looking at. Uh, so 35 million, you know, Manchester City have about seven players in blood sitting on the bench who will cost like 30, 40 million. Uh, and they're quite happy to just stockpile like midfielders like that who like played like once a month or something. And so, you know, we need to be at that place where we can be changing players in and out and not be totally reliant on you know, this the one criticism I've had of Ole all season is that some players have been way overplayed, that there hasn't been enough kind of changing in certain areas. Uh, you know, and midfield, though, is actually one of the areas where we are strongest. You know, Matic, McTominay, Fred, Pogba. That's why, you know, Van der Beek hasn't had that much chance yet. And I know, actually, I remember you were always a big fan of him and really wanted to see him play a lot more, right? I remember you following him from kind of Ajax time. Yeah, and I, and I still do want to see a lot more of him. Um, whenever he, he has played, he just offers us a, a different type of intelligence in the midfield that the other players do. Um, I would put him, I mean, Pogba is, is very, very smart on the ball, but likes to try the extravagant, maybe a bit too much for my liking, too close to his own goal. Whereas I think Van der Beek, some of the touches that he plays around the corner that... When when you're watching on TV, sometimes it's difficult to appreciate the the difficulty of the things that he does. But whenever he has played at least once or twice a game, there's just some like little touch around the corner and then immediately running into space to take the one-two that I just don't think our other midfielders are capable of doing it as well as him. And I think that Van de Beek is he's he's not press resistant uh, in the same way that like a a Busquets or a or a Pirlo might have been, where it's just. You press them a couple of times, try to get the ball off them, and, and you just don't get close. But Van de Beek is close to being that type of player where he always has the right out just to relieve some pressure from you. And given that a lot of teams do like to press us because they know that at times our defence is culpable of trying to play out a bit too much from the back, we take short kicks from uh, short goal kicks from the goalkeeper to one of Maguire or Lindelof who are not the quickest at making decisions and getting the ball upfield. So when they knock the ball into our centre mids, there is a, a high press usually coming from most teams. And I do think that Van de Beek is, is one of the better players I've seen in Europe over the past maybe five years at just relieving the pressure from that press because he's so smart. So yes, he's been injured, but I'm hoping now that he's he's back. And with, I mean, we have a, another big game coming up on the weekend in an international break, but getting into the, the thick of things for the rest of this season, we need to make use of that squad more than we have been. Like you say, it's a lot of those players are overplayed. Bruno in particular, Rashford, as we've seen now, has been overplayed to the extent that I don't think we're going to see him in the weekend and he's the one that needs the biggest rest in the international break. But yeah, we've, we've been overplaying for a while and the thing is we have options, especially in midfield. And I think there's a... There's not too many bad combinations of Fred, McTominay, Pogba, Van de Beek and Bruno and then maybe Matic in there, not as big as fan. But that's six midfielders that you can pick three of them and be reasonably comf comfortable that they're going to get a job done and be able to dominate most oppositions they come up against. So yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing Van de Beek. A bit disappointed again to see him on the bench and not get a game today. It's obviously been a talking point and a theme. I'm not paying too much attention to what's been said in the news and the media this week that he's expressed an interest that he wants to leave and he's been advised to leave and he's going to seek to force a move in the summer. I don't think there's anything in that. I think he'll understand that when he gets his chance, it's up to him to take it. And if he does, he's going to be pretty hard to leave out. Um, but yeah, so moving on after Pogba's goal, I thought our performance improved drastically uh, for the majority of that second half. One of the players that stood out for me was Fred. I thought Fred got on the front foot and pretty much cut a lot of their potential counter-attack launches or just any launch of any attack. He was just able to cut them off. As soon as they played the ball into the middle, he was just on them, running around like a madman like he normally does. 
Um, I looked up on Sky Sports after the game. They gave Fred uh, the man of the match. What did you think of his performance in midfield? And I guess we, we know what he brings alongside McTominay. But I thought Fred was stood out a little bit more than his compatriot today. How did you feel about him? Yeah, I thought he had a really good game and did exactly what he's there for. You know, Harry and he's that kind of Brazilian bulldog uh, in the midfield, not giving any time to their players at all and it was actually his kind of hassling that led to our goal Uh, you know he was right up there in the like the box like trying to win it and you know it fell nicely Uh, you know if if Fred could find a shot from somewhere then you know then we'd really start be talking about a top top like world class midfielder but he still has that massive weakness that yeah and he still takes a couple of pot shots uh, every week and at least like he did get one on target this match which is kind of better than he normally does but yeah he must be lashing them in in training he has to be because he's clearly been instructed to take a shot when he gets a chance so he must be lashing them in top corner every week in training but we just don't see it in the game at all there was one in the first half where it was just the weakest attempt and went right straight to the keeper and away why did you shoot you didn't have the the angle to shoot the body position to shoot there was no way you could generate any type of power whatsoever and he still decides that he needs to go ahead and shoot instead of retaining the ball. Um, yeah, like you say, if he figures that part of his game out, and I hope that he does, then you're talking about a, an all-action, um, p- potentially one of the better midfielders in Europe uh, if he adds goals to his game. Another thing that he doesn't have in his locker is the, the assists. I'm not really sure about his, uh, his overall assist record since he joined us, but I don't think that it's great. He's just... I guess he's just not that type of player where he is there to be the guy that, that breaks stuff up. But when we see him on the ball and some of the turns that he had today, especially in the second half, just carrying the ball out of defence, he still has that Brazilian flair edge to his game. And you know that there's quality there, almost to the extent that he could play further forward and probably wouldn't look the, like the most out of position because he is good dribbler, good at retaining the ball, good amount of strength. But yeah, if he adds... He adds goals and assists to his game, then he's going to be one of the first names in our team sheets for a while. But yeah, I was hugely impressed with him. And in the second half as well, someone that we've given a fair amount of stick on the, on this podcast to this season because he's had a few um, suspect performances. I thought Wan-Bissaka had a pretty good second half as well. There was a few times where he was kind of almost on his own uh, on that right-hand side and had to defend against their left winger and Ibrahimovic when he came on. Showed great strength a couple of times and I didn't feel like I sometimes do with him that they're going to get in behind through him and we're going to lose a goal because of it. But did you think Wan-Bissaka had a decent second half? No, I mean, look, I'm always one who's defending Wan-Bissaka and think he takes unnecessary criticism. I know Colm's not a fan of his and we've often, yeah, a couple of the other lads, we have a bit of a debate about it. Uh, you know, he's not the best on the ball. He's not the best attacking fullback, but defensively, I think he's great. And time and time again in big matches, he comes up and makes a difference. You know, even against Man City lately, we see nothing coming from his side. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of his. I think, you know, a, a fullback's job, first and foremost, is defensive. And, you know, it's net been a couple of times where he's lacked kind of positionally and you know he'd often is kind of making up for being slightly out of position with those slide tackles but his record with those tackles is just so amazing and like he doesn't he, he missed barely... he missed one in the first half today and i couldn't believe my eyes it was um their left back hernandez just went on a drive and run right through the middle wambasaka put a slide tackle mm, on and didn't yeah, get near yeah, the ball yeah. and I, I had i was like did I just see that right? The guy just breeze past him. I don't think I've seen it happen like that. Like genuinely, I'm struggling to think when he's went to ground for a slide tackle and not either got the ball or somehow stopped the guy running forward. I think it's the first time I'd seen it happen, so it was weird. And that is testament to his, his defensive ability, which is, like you say, fullback first and foremost. His, his job is to stop the other team attacking. And he does it just about as good as any right-back uh, in the game at the moment and has been doing for some time. He's just so difficult to get by. But I just was happy. Um, sometimes his ball retention does leave a lot to be desired, especially when you're under a bit of pressure. But as AC Milan kind of threw caution to the wind and we're just trying to get a goal back, 
there was a few times where he could easily have panicked, but he was still happy to to put his foot on the ball, come inside, look for the easy pass. Just seemed more of a composed, mature performance from him in the second half. And I was really happy to see that because we know the good things about him, but the things we're critical of, there's a reason for them because they, they do keep happening. But today I thought he was... He was pretty good there, pretty solid there, and I didn't feel like there was too much chance of, of them scoring. Well, it One was actually other... interesting to see that um, there was quite a lot of people on Twitter who were like upset that he wasn't picked for England. Yeah. And that's even though, yeah, Southgate, he dropped Trent Alexander-Arnold, who had been the kind of, you know, first choice after last season where he'd had an amazing season, but this season he's been way off it. But yeah, he's not picked Wan-Bissaka, he's not picked Arnold, and he's actually gone for Trippier and uh, Rhys James from Chelsea. I mean, I think Trippier probably does deserve his place, doing pretty well in La Liga, got the experience and all. But yeah, I mean, if it was up to me, I would take Wan-Bissaka ahead of Rhys James every day. Um, possibly, I think Southgate, he has this thing, he often plays three centre-backs, so he wants a kind of more attacking full-back, and maybe that is the reason why he picks somebody else over Wan-Bissaka. But yeah, if you're looking for somebody to do the defensive job, then yeah, for me, there is no one better at right-back. Yeah, and, and the, the thing that makes me kind of upset that he wasn't picked is there's a potential to see that Wan-Bissaka and Sancho combination on the right-hand side. Which well, was... Sancho is injured, so he's yeah. not going... Yeah. He and won't anyway, be, he won't be there's all this bizarre stuff about German quarantine and stuff. Uh, it was really weird because Southgate picks Jude Bellingham in the squad and then says, oh, I don't actually think he can play due to quarantine rules. Uh, so like, yeah. Why, the, why yeah. the hell have you picked him then? Pick somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But he's obviously just completely lacking. But I think anyway, Sancho is injured. Uh, Luke Shaw is back in the squad, deservedly, definitely oh, abs- like absolutely. the best, you know left back of the season even though Jesse Lingard has had a recall uh, which well is, deserved yeah, as well yeah well yeah. deserved too yeah, and definitely. just um, just in terms of English players that were impressive tonight I, I didn't see who was all announced in the squad but was um, Tomori in the squad no he's not even near the squad yeah. like recently but yeah he has been pretty good for them I yeah, thought he looked pretty good for Chelsea and was surprised that they let him go out on loan um, but he yeah. put a couple of, a couple of challenges in tonight that were like you know, the ones like maybe like 10, 15 years ago, you would never even have considered being a foul. You'd just be like, that's a really, really good, strong tackle. He put in a couple of those like kind of shoulder badries where he was just shepherding the ball out of play. And then when the referee doesn't give a penalty, you're like, well, it was just really, really good defending. But yeah, I thought he was excellent tonight. And I heard the commentator of my stream say that Franco Baresi has been um, hugely, hugely praising him since he got to AC Milan. So... Maybe big things in his future, but yeah, I was I was quite impressed with him tonight, and a little bit annoyed that he's going to be going back to Chelsea, having had the the Maldinis and the Berezis and the Costa Cutters giving him some tips and pointers and training every week, and he's going to bring that back to what looks like it's getting to be a stronger Chelsea side. Um, but yeah, yeah, Wan Bissaka is a little bit of a surprise to me that he's not in the England squad, just because you know he's going to be solid defensively, definitely more than than James or Trippier could be. So yeah, that's a little bit surprising. Um, but one of the other things that stood out for me tonight and one of the questions I, I want to pose to you and we have spent a fair amount of time talking about our goalkeeper situation. But we're now at the stage where Henderson has had a good run in the team and De Gea is back on the bench tonight. Now, Henderson, for me, there was a, a moment in the second half where they knocked the ball over the top to Ibrahimovic. It turned out to, that he was offside. But... Henderson had came out to the edge of his box and was prepared to stick a head on it and knocked it straight to Maguire's feet. Now the first thing that went through my head there was De Gea probably would never have been that far off of his line to the extent that Ibrahimovic might have got there first. Now knocking the ball in behind our two centre halves, for me, if I'm an opposition manager, that's how I would attack us because we do like to step a little bit further up the pitch and Lindelof and Maguire are not the quickest. So if I have a quick striker, I want to knock it in behind and get Maguire and Lindelof facing their own goal where they're more likely to do something wrong. And then in that scenario, you want your goalkeeper to be able to come and sweep up from the back, which De Gea doesn't do. And Henderson has now demonstrated in his his time in the squad that he is capable of doing that. 
right now, if I have to pick our goalkeeper for the rest of the season, without any hesitation, I'm saying Dean Henderson has earned his place. Even with that mistake against AC Milan, I think he offers more in terms of the way that we want to play that will benefit more from having him in the team. Even in the second half, he, he, um, he threw the ball out. I think it was Pogba ended up getting it, but it was very similar to the the throw out to Luke Shaw for his goal against Man City, which just absolutely launched it, Schmeichel style. He's just doing things that we don't get from De Gea that benefit us, and I don't think there's that much of a difference in their shot stopping that we're really going to notice, especially the way De Gea has been playing. I don't think it's going to make a difference to the overall outcome of our games, and I think he offers more to the squad. So now that De Gea's back is is given birth to his wife has given birth to his daughter, but now he's back in the squad and probably wants his place back and is maybe thinking that he deserves to be in a FA Cup quarter final squad. Where are you on does Dean Henderson deserve to be our number one after tonight? I th- I would make Henderson our number one now. Um, I think he's kind of done enough in this run to say, you know, let him have this step up, let him have this chance, especially because they had made those mistakes earlier in the season. Uh, you know, I think it was Everton, a couple of other times where De Gea was definitely at fault. And, you know, I said after that, that it's time to give Henderson a chance. And Ole was still kind of going back and forth. But I think maybe Ole all along, he knew this was coming up, that obviously, you know, De Gea's other half has been pregnant with baby due. And, you know, he... I, you know, I said it before on the pod that I think Ole has used this in the perfect way to manage the situation and that now he can do it without, like, having a big problem with De Gea. He can just say, listen, like, you know, you went away. Henderson has come in. He's done his bit. Uh, you know, Henderson makes that save today from Zlatan. Back post, header. It was yep. a really good save. And, you know, that was the difference from last week. Why we didn't win 1-0 was, yeah, him not making a save that he could have made, even though... And, and a very say, similar save as well. Like a, a kind of similar scenario where it's a header, reasonably close range, close to his hands, but he gets enough on it tonight. Whereas last week he just wasn't able to keep it out. So he, almost, he made up for it tonight with that save. Yeah, I mean, I think De Gea might still play on the weekend just because he hasn't played for a while and he is back around now. And especially as well that uh, Henderson is going to be going out on international duty. And I think Henderson will play for England because Pickford is injured. So I'm pretty sure he's going to play at least one of these matches, if not more. Whereas De Gea, I don't think, is in the Spanish squad. Um, So possibly he'll get a match on Sunday. But the vital thing will be when they come back after that break, what exactly Ole does. Because then we're back into league matches. And I hope... Uh, that Henderson is left in charge and be given that chance to say he is the one then going into next season who's going to be the first choice then yeah it's up to De Gea whether he's happy to kind of play out you know his later years as second fiddle or whether he wants to push and go elsewhere then yeah it's kind of up to him but that's the way I hope it goes whereas I know the other two guys last week Imran and Colm think that Ole will put De Gea back in as number one I personally don't think he will so it's going to be very interesting to see which way he goes now yeah I don't think that he will either um like I said Henderson for me has done enough um I think the only thing I'm concerned about, uh, and it's not in in regards to whether or not De Gea will end up being our our number one, is he's a high-profile player. He makes a lot of money. He's on a big contract. And De Gea being dropped to the bench, uh, and like obviously if he's two or three games in a row where he doesn't start, it's very clear Henderson is our number one. I think that would send that message. I can just see the media making more of a deal of it than they have to like they always do when it comes to high-profile players with us. And I just wonder what that would do to our kind of squad camaraderie if uh, if the media start making noises about it. But hopefully Henderson's performances just make it pretty obvious to anyone that it's kind of hard to leave the guy out as your number one when he's reasonably good clean sheet record when he starts for us. And from what I can see, is offers is more of a guarantee of a successful counter-attack is a great way to look at Henderson. Like whenever De Gea has the ball and he's he's kicking it out, throwing it out, I'm just not that confident that it's going to get to where it needs to go. Whereas with Henderson, he's, he's better with his feet and definitely he's demonstrated a couple of times now that he can really, really launch the ball. And you can see the players, when, when Henderson gathers up the ball, the players are gone. Like They know that he can find them. Um, it's almost similar to the way that... Um, 
Ederson for Man City. As soon as he gets the ball and there's a counter-attack mm. on, the wingers are gone because they know something's going to come in behind. You don't get that with De Gea. You sometimes watch the players when De Gea comes and if he comes and claims a cross or if he's, there's a chance for a counter-attack, they just don't go at the same pace that they go with Henderson because they don't have that faith. Yes, he's a fantastic shot-stopper. Yes, he's one of the best keepers in the world over the past 10 years. But yeah, Henderson's earned his, his long-term chance and I hope that Ole gives him it. But yeah, after um, so we get to the end of the game tonight. I don't think there was too much in the way of pressure for them and it was a reasonably, obviously we've only won by a goal, but I would say it was a reasonably comfortable way that we saw out the game, especially in injury time. I thought we saw it pretty well. Kept the ball well in the corner and we move on to the next round of the Europa. Now, I know that you're not the, the biggest fan of, of the competition, but now we're in the quarterfinals, I'm sure you're feeling a little bit more giddy about the potential of winning that trophy now, especially when we've seen um, one of our English league rivals and former manager go out in such spectacular fashion tonight. But yeah, so for the, the Europa League draw, just before we move on to talking about the Leicester game, who would you like to get from that draw ideally, and who would you like to avoid? I mean, if the if the draw goes like Ole has at the moment recently, you know, he's been given pretty much the hardest draw every time. So it means we're yep. going to get like, I don't know, Ajax or Roma or something like that. I mean, I guess even, yeah, I guess Arsenal are there and have been a bit of a bogey team for us. Um, you know, the best draw, I think, what? So Granada have gone through there. And there's also uh, Prague who have knocked out Leicester and Rangers. But you would think that that's one more favourable draw if you can get it. Um, you know, they're the kind of ones you want. But as I say, Ole's had the worst bloody luck in these draws recently. Um, but, I mean, everybody's going to be scared of drawing us. We are the favourites in this tournament now. And, yeah, I have been, you know, quite critical, like I say, and said I would play reserve teams here, that there's too many matches. I was worried about how much it's going to impact our league season, especially. Uh, but, you know, now that we've got a little bit of buffer in that kind of top four race, I think we can then afford to put a bit more into the cups. And once you hit the quarterfinal, then you feel like, all right, you should take it seriously. That was the problem for me. More like two rounds ago when we were playing Real Sociedad, I said, look, we're going to have another like six matches even just to reach the semi-final of this tournament, plus travel, plus going in that Thursday kind of Sunday schedule, which I think does not help things at all. But, uh, you know, now that Ole has navigated this month of March pretty well, like, you know, worst case scenario, we're like second and through the Europa League. Hopefully we can like add FA Cup semi-final to that, which would just be absolutely brilliant month for us. Um, But yeah, you know, he's come through and done pretty well at least. And then, yeah, look, at quarterfinal stage, you have to take it seriously because it is a good tournament. You know, for this team to win something would mean a lot mentally as well. You know, Ole, I know there's been some comments this week, especially where Ole had slightly downplayed the importance of winning cups. Uh, as usual, I think the media and our fans have gone a bit OTT and things were a bit twisted as if he was saying he wasn't bothered about winning the Cups, which is not what he said at all. He was just saying that, you know, the biggest kind of barometer of progress is your league form. And I kind of agree on that. That's why I had been saying all along that I would have preferred for us to make a title challenge than even winning one of these Cups. In the end, we're not making a title challenge. We're too far off City, which is why now the Cups do become more important and he has to get through that kind of semi-final hoodoo, you know, that people keep going on about. Even to get to a final would at least show some kind of progress. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the quarterfinals, um, obviously we, we want them to win a trophy. We want Ole to taste that. We want them to get to a final and get over that hoodoo. But the way that the, the Europa League quarterfinal schedule is going to work it's going to be a heck of a like 10, 12-day period for us. So we play Brighton on April 4th. The first leg of the, the Europa quarterfinal is probably going to be on April 8th. We then play Tottenham away on April 11th. Then the second leg of the quarterfinal is probably going to be on, I think right now it would be Thursday the 15th. And then we have a home game against Burnley, always tough opposition, on the 17th of April, which I imagine will get rescheduled and maybe moved to the Sunday. But those Europa League quarterfinal games are falling in amongst really, really important Premier League games. Brighton, always difficult to get a, a win against. Tottenham away is, regardless of how 
Jose and Tottenham are performing at the moment is going to be a tough battle of a game. And then Burnley is just, it's always going to be a physical confrontation. So I'm really hoping that we can get the Granada or the Slavia Prague, get that first leg, just get the game dead and buried and move on. But knowing our luck, we're, we're probably going to get Arsenal or Roma and, and have to put out a pretty strong side in both legs. But yeah, this, uh, the fixture congestion is, is obviously piling up. And we, we move right on to a quarterfinal on the weekend here in the FA Cup against Leicester City. How are you feeling about our, our chances for that one? Obviously, no fans in a FA Cup quarterfinal makes a little bit of a difference. So we've also did, been able to demonstrate going to Leicester in a very, very meaningful fixture on the last day of the season last season. So we know we can go and get the result. But how are you feeling? And obviously, Leicester are... They're, they're, still on the up they're trying to establish themselves as a, a top six side or even a top four side which some will argue they already are but they they want another trophy in their cabinet and they're going to be going gung-ho for it this weekend do you expect any changes in our squad any um anyone getting rested or do you expect us to go full tilt strongest available first 11 and and go for this game I think probably there will be a couple of changes, although because we're going into international break, I don't know whether Ola will just say, listen, I'm going to get one more game out of this, What you know, what is our first team in theory. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see from there. I mean, also there's a bit about who's actually going to be available. Uh, you know, Cavani was training, then didn't make it. Martial, I saw today, he has been picked for France. So he's obviously not that badly injured. Uh, so yeah, maybe he's going to be available. So yeah, a bit comes down to who comes, who's actually available for this match. Rashford, we don't know at the moment. Uh, Pogba will surely start a game just because he's been out now. And then, yeah, there is players in around there who might be due a game. Who's somebody like, I don't know, Tellez, uh, Mamatic. I don't know. But yeah, because again, because it's quarterfinal, this is the one that I would prioritise it. Uh, I said that at the time, like a few weeks ago, I said, look, you know, the FA Cup, we're like two matches away from the final, whereas the Europa League, we're like seven matches away from the final, which is why, yeah, I would go all in on this FA Cup and try and push that now. Leicester is going to be very difficult. They will have had the full week off because they obviously went out of the Europa League last round, so they've not had any match this week. Uh, you know, they'd gone slightly off the boil, but then have come back in the past couple of weeks they're missing, I think, some of their creative players. Madison, Barnes have been out. But that Ian Acho, all of a sudden, has been scoring goals for them. Uh, so he's made up for the fact that Vardy has also kind of come back from injury and not been on top form. Uh, but yeah, they've won their last couple of matches. They've been pushing us in that kind of second place race. So we had to win those last two matches against uh, City and West Ham to go back above them. And yeah, it's we should have beat them earlier in the season. That was one that we kind of threw away at the end yep. of the match. And uh, we will have another match against them later on. So yeah, they're definitely, you know, it's a, like I say, they are our main competitors at the moment for that kind of second place battle uh, that's on over there. And the Chelsea are kind of coming in there as well. But uh, uh, yeah, I think that we should definitely be having a good run at this. All they whatever team he puts out will be pretty strong I think he maybe have to, might have to make a couple of changes just to freshen things up uh, you know as I've said every week I say there's too many players who've played too many matches who need to have a rest uh, you know especially you know that's the one big bonus of Juan Bissaka not being picked for England is he's top of the list of people who need a rest so Absolutely. for him to have a couple of weeks off is actually a benefit for United so you know I'm not that bothered that he's not going away with England it's at least he will get a rest there Uh and then, yeah, look, let's see where we go. And, you know, until I see who's available, until I see what our starting lineup is against Leicester, I can't say whether I'm totally confident or not. But, yeah, look, we need to have a good go at that. And they will be, for sure, putting out their first team in this. He's not going to be resting anyone for this game over there. So, yeah, they're going to be full strength. So, yeah, Ole, like I say, he might tinker with a couple of players and a lot will depend on who's available. But he will go strong at this. He's so, even though he's played it down about the cup thing, it's pretty clear that he really, really wants to win one of yeah. these. Because every round I've talked about saying, oh, we should rest players for the cups, focus on the league. And every round he's played very, very strong teams. And in fact, it was our league form that suffered uh, you know we played Liverpool earlier then we played West Ham and he played strong teams and uh, you know we our league games after that where we dropped points so yeah he wants to win something because yeah people have been getting on at it saying 
that we and I, I do understand it. You know, a lot of our fans say, you know, second is nothing. It's you know, you're still a loser. Uh, I kind of understand that mentality. At the same time, though, for me, there is still progress regardless of what happens in the league. There's been, you know, a lot of talk about that thing about what is progress. Does Ole do deserve a new contract? And yeah, I think I think he's done enough of a good job. This month of March was the one that was going to show everything. You know, quite a few people are saying, "Look, we should wait till the end of the season to see what Ole does and whether he should get an extension." But if he comes through this month of March and that we're still in second place, we're through and still in both of these cups, then I think that is enough at this part of the year to say, "Yeah, listen, he's done a good job, and he deserves an extension to keep evolving this team to see where it can go." Yeah, and and he's been obviously he's a legend of the club. We all love him. We all want him to do well. But every time he says something uh, in the media, I, I can't help but agree with him. Um, like just his quote that he that he gave in relation to the trophies, and, and I'm with you. I think he really wants to win one, and this is almost like a sort of Alex Ferguson mind game, trying to pretend that he's not bothered about them. But I'll read his quote out. So he says, "I've been here for two and a half of those years." And coming in, as I've said so many times, I felt a big rebuild had to be made. He hasn't shied away from that. We all know it. And in my opinion, it's seen the, the level of performance increasing, especially in December and January, the way that it did. I'm happy for Solskjaer to, Solskjaer to be the man to continue on that rebuild. And then he says, in the league position, you see if there's any progress for me. That's always the bread and butter of the season, that you see how capable you are of coping of ups and downs. Any cup competition can give you a trophy, but sometimes it's more of an ego thing for other managers and clubs to finally win something. Now, when I look at that, I feel like he's just trying to take that pressure off of himself from people who say, you need to win a trophy in in order to take that next step. But he also, he kind of has a point. But I'm wondering if you were to offer him, and I'll pose that this question to you, what you would prefer and what you think Ole would prefer. If I could give you one of the, the three things, a second place finish, an FA Cup win or a Europa League win, what would you take at the moment? No, but I mean, if we were, if we're taking the the cup, where are we finishing in the league? I mean, you can have you can have one of them. You, you can have one of them. What would you have? You can have second place in the league. FA Cup or Europa League one. Just what would you? What is the most important in that? Without considering what it means to the other ones, what's what's more impressive? Oh yeah, if I can pick any one of those right now today, I'll take the Europa League win. Yeah. Because uh, you know the Europa League win is a trophy and it gives you Champions League qualification. But uh, you know it all depends on as well where you finish in the league. I, I said all along, like if we can finish like top four and win a trophy, then that is a good season. And it doesn't really matter if you finish second or fourth. It's just a few months ago. Uh, for me, t- if we could have made a title challenge, it didn't even have to be a title win. But if we'd stayed closer to City, I would have said, listen, forget these cups keep going if we can go into like late april and still say we've got a chance of winning this league that would have been been a big progress for me that would have yep. been something that we haven't done for a long time you know even though Mourinho came out and said oh i came second what a big achievement we weren't ever in the title race that year we weren't fighting for it at any point it was kind of a late run that took us to second and it was you know not worth that much uh you know at the same time he did win the europa league but he sacrificed the league that year we came like was it sixth i think something like that yeah yeah i think uh, sixth. so yeah he had to sacrifice the league and i yeah i made this point before as well when van hal he won the fa cup but that season we didn't finish top four either uh, so each time it has been a kind of you either get the cup or you get top four. And so, yeah, if Ole can get both, then, yeah, that is definitely a good season. And yep. I would happily take fourth place uh, and, uh, you know, a cup uh, at this point. Because, yeah, league position, unless you're, like you say, unless you're close, unless you're saying we're t- we are challenging, we are close to this league all the way, then it doesn't matter whether you're second, whether you're third, whether you're fourth. But we do need to be in that top four. And uh, there's always been that stat that since Fergie retired, we have not finished top four two seasons in a row, which, you know, I say it all the time because it's just so crazy for a club like ours that we've been so up and down. And even though there's been a few trophies in the middle 
uh, that you know that we haven't managed that consistency to get two years top four finishes has been the big thing where we've been lacking and you know that's what we need to get back to that just being a champions league club is automatic has to be our absolute simple bread and butter and then from there we grow and see what we can win yeah, and I think like just what I'm getting at from that quote of Solskjaer is based on what he said there, if I was to give him those same options, what's what's more important for you? Finishing second and uh, marking the progress that you've made since last season, winning the FA Cup or winning the Europa League, you can have one of them. Based on his quote, I'd think he would probably say, well, finishing second is the more impressive thing because it, it shows our progress a bit more, but in his back of his mind, I can't see how anyone could pass up that Europa League one because obviously you get the same thing as you do finishing second in the Champions League spot. But yeah, I think he wants that trophy more than he's letting on. And I think this group of players need it as well. We have a fair uh, amount of the squad who know what it's like to win a trophy and some who don't. And I do think that is a big psychological boost when that team can do that together, experience that silverware. It's just... Like even... Even the Community Shield at times, even though obviously it's not a massive trophy, still going up and being able to hold a piece of silverware above your head and celebrate it with your best mates, it's one of the moments that builds such a a strong sense of resilience and commitment in a squad of players. And you only there are only so many teams get to experience that in a season when you think of how little silverware is actually available. And I think it does... It ticks off a few of those boxes that we really need from a psychological and mindset standpoint of, you know, we are a strong club, we are a dominant club, we can be a Champions League every season level club. And the good thing about it is is that this group of players, there's obviously question marks over a couple of them and whether they're going to be here the long term, but from the majority of them, and like our, our standout players, like the kind of ones that are first names on the team sheet, they're going to be here for a while. They're, they're mid-twenties, a lot of them. I think the average age of our squad is around about the mid-twenties. We've got two, three, maybe four years of these guys getting better, getting into their peaks, hopefully adding some additions. And I think getting that first trophy, this squad, is going to be massive for them. And then the boost that gives Ollie as well is just going to be huge moving forward. So I think um, I think that the, the Europa League might be a more winnable trophy just because of the the prospect of having to probably get by Chelsea and Man City if we're going to win it, just depending on the way the draw falls, but there is that potential. I feel like the quality of the clubs left in the Europa League, we are the strongest. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, we are second in the Premier League, and the other teams are, I don't think, um, like Arsenal, nowhere near Roma. I don't think they're anywhere near uh, challenging in Serie A. Those are the teams you'd like to avoid. Ajax are a feeder club, we've demonstrated we can beat them, so I think that we are the favourites there by quite a distance, and that's even though it means more games, I do think that's where we should put our focus, but yeah, we're getting to the, the crunch point of the season now, we're still in everything except the title race, barring a calamitous um, free fall from Man City, but yeah, there's still a lot to play for, we've got some players coming back, and I think now is... Um, Now's a good time to be a to be a Man United fan, and obviously we hope that the this international break, everyone sorry after the Leicester game, the international break, everyone comes back with a, a clean bill of health and and ready to go and kick on to those last hopefully almost twenty games that we're going to have to play between then and the end of the season before the Euros start. Um, but yeah, so overall, Nick, you are you feeling are you feeling like we're where we deserve to be right now? Would you say, given the performances this season? Yeah, as I, you know, we said, like I said, the start of this month, we said it was going to be absolutely vital. We had, we'd had a bad run with some bad results against the likes of West Brom, uh, Crystal Palace, uh, you know, losing even before that Sheffield United. And some people were starting to worry, saying, oh, we're not even going to be top four by the time April rolls around. But look, we're second. We're through in the Europa League. Let's see where we go in the FA Cup. You know, hopefully we can, if we, like I said, if Ole adds FA Cup semi-final to that, then he's navigated this month better than anybody could have imagined and thrown in a win against Manchester City in the middle of that as well. Uh, you know, even though, you know, we're not at the top, but yeah, going out to the San Siro and winning a game, that's, that's a great thing. And for the confidence of the team and everything, you can't deny that these are like big moments. Uh, you know, this still has to, like I say, take it one step further and then 
April is going to take it on from that. But this run of games that we've had in this March to come through that has been very well played by Ole, and he's done well. Uh, what is in, and, and at the same time, we've had a load of injuries as well. People shouldn't forget. You know, we've been far from like full strength, so he's not always had the options. So hopefully, we get some of these lads back in. Uh, you know, especially up front, even if neither of them have been absolutely stars this season. You know, missing the likes of Martial and Cavani does make a big difference even if they're just on the bench so yeah hopefully this international break we can get everybody back in and then come in for like a massive like april after easter and uh, see this season off in top top form yep absolutely well i think uh i think we'll wrap it up there for this episode uh we're, we're touching an hour now and that means it's been one hour longer that i haven't used my manscape products so I need to go and need to go and take care of a few things, Dick. But yeah, I think uh, we'll probably be back after the Leicester game, which we we hope has seen us into another semi final. Um, but yeah, thanks very much for listening, as always, folks. And just a reminder, you can uh, follow us on all the the usual social media channels on Twitter or Instagram, which I need to give a big shout out for this week. Um, we touched five hundred followers this week, despite. Well, I'm not, I'll be honest about it, very limited uh, attempts to actively market the Instagram account, but we're getting followed and following a bunch of Man United fan pages from all around the globe. So it was a lot of fun to, to see different continents' perspectives on some of the players and some of the, I guess, the past and present players. There's a lot of cool stuff on there, and we, we certainly appreciate the support, the support that we're getting from people all over the place. But, yeah, give us a, give us a follow. Uh, give, we'd love it if you could give the podcast a, a rating and a review as well. We always appreciate that. And a huge thanks to our editing team who are doing such a great job of, of getting these out so quickly. We really, really appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, that's all from me. And yeah, that's all for me. Good job on the hosting, David. It was nice for me, actually, to sit on the other side for once and, yeah. uh, you know, not have to be asking all the questions. So, yeah, no. cheers. Good, good job no. there. Good job. No worries. I, I was almost considering doing what you do to me and just going at you and pulling you up on stuff that you've said in the past. But I, I decided to hold back and be nice, Nick, since, since you were the one who organised the Manscaped stuff for me. I appreciate that. Uh, there you yep. go. Kept, kept you quiet with a bribe, yeah. <laughs> Take care, folks, and we'll speak to you again soon. Good night. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.